Well, we are in part three of a series we've been calling Remarkable Relationships. And we have been looking at some fundamental principles uh, drawn from the scriptures as to how to strengthen our relationships, to go from just merely regular relationships all the way to the level of remarkable, like a kite soaring in the sky. And I want to read today from a passage in the scriptures from uh, the letter uh, of the Apostle James and invite you to think with me about what this might have to say about how we do relationship uh, in our daily life. So listen, if you would, to these words. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. This makes me nervous already. Um, Wow. And then this is a little comforting. We all stumble in many ways. And if anyone is never at fault in what he or she says, they're a perfect person, able to keep their whole body in check. Raise your hands if you're a perfect person. Right, none of us are perfect. Uh, Let's just remember that today. We're gonna talk about some challenging things this morning. Remember that there is grace for you and for me. There's a grace greater than the gravity of life. And we're gonna find that even greater um, in measure here today. So then James goes on. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also A fire, he says. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. It can corrupt the whole person, set the whole course of that person's life on fire. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. And he goes on and says, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. You know, for years, it, it mystified me how it was that um, people who had siblings, maybe, who had grown up sharing the same room, sharing the same toys, or, or, or parents and children who had shared the same spoon when, when the little ones were little, Uh, how these same people who enjoyed this common life together could suddenly, uh, eventually turn in the nature of that relationship and actually cringe at the thought of seeing one another. Or how could couples who would cuddle together so intimately on my premarital counseling couch, just all lovey-dovey, with visions of the sugar plums of their life ahead of them, how could these people, over time, look at each other with such mistrust and and even hatefulness over time? How is it the people that start out in, in, in life together as business partners or as best friends or as roommates 
or, or even as fellow church members, how is it they could go from this sense of hopefulness and excitement about this relationship and all that it could be and become people that wanted nothing to do with each other any longer? How does this happen? How does this happen? Well, I've come to see that the answer to that question is complicated. And you, you, I'm sensing, will know that this is a, this is a complicated subject area, relationships in general. So we've been, we've been talking about some of the ways that, that, that God's word suggests our relationships can be strengthened. And, and the first most important principle we covered uh, in week one, and that is this idea that we need to have a vision of relationship that is above the common horizon. Our vision today is being dragged down in all kinds. We accept divisions and, 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 and diatribes and all of these things at a, at a level that, that is just totally unhelpful to us. We need to raise our sights and, and shoot for having the kind of relationship that expresses the kind of love that Jesus shows in his life. That, that God's vision for us is that we might have an exceptional kind of love in our lives. Uh, that it not be just sort of a mere earthly kind of affection that's conditioned by whether the other person sort of appeals to us or does the things that we like all the time, but instead have a love that, is, that imitates the kind of love Jesus loves. In fact, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. And he would not have to say, this is a commandment if it was gonna be easy. And he would not have to say, as I have loved you, if we were not so prone to accepting lesser standards of what love looks like. But as his followers, we're invited to, to raise our eyes to that more beautiful, more remarkable standard of love that is modeled by Jesus. Last week, uh, Tara Beth and Pete talked to the congregation about a second critical principle, and that is this idea that we are... We are created different. We're not cookie cutters of each other. We're, we have different gifts and different sensitivities and attributes, and we need each other so badly. We need to learn to accept and, and, and affirm the differences that exist within relationships. Um, and, and, and that doing that is, a, is the key to moving beyond sort of a self-oriented, self-focused, inwardly turned way of thinking and going through life and instead be stretched out into a larger imagination about the interconnectedness of people and of life and all the different gifts that are needed to, to make a life. I know this in my own marriage. I married my wife, uh, who, Amy, because she, was, she had all of these qualities I did not have in my life. And she married me because I had these other qualities that she really valued in, in her life. And those, the, those differences became the very things that drive us up the wall and across the ceiling about each other at times. But we need them. We need what each of us does. And this is true in so many relationships. Uh, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We need to learn to accept and appreciate the differences that go on in households and on teams and in communities of many kinds. Um, so these are two of the very valuable ideas that we've been pondering. Here, here's a third one for this morning. This is the big idea for this morning. The more and more I think about it, I have come to believe that the reason that the kite of our relationships not only doesn't reach the level of remarkable, but often falls even below the level of the regular, 
is because of the way we slip into communicating with each other. It has to do with the way we use the power of the tongue or don't use it in our lives. And the string of ourself can get so wound up tight and so tangled up over the years that, that it's very, very difficult for us to even speak or, or communicate with each other in the ways that would be really, really helpful. And this is, I think, what the Apostle James is trying to get at when he writes this letter to the uh, Christians of, of his community long ago. He says, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it exerts a disproportionately large kind of power. Words are like a bit in the mouth of a stallion able to turn the whole steed. Uh, Words, he says, are, are like a rudder able to alter the course of a giant ship. Words are like a spark able to light a phenomenal kind of fire. And what James is saying here is that human language, these, these wonderful capacities, um, they're, they're fabulous when they're used wisely and well. But used unwisely, our words can leave people trampled by, by that horse or galloping away themselves. They, they, can, they can run the ship of our relationships onto the rocks. They can uh, ignite a blaze of rage or of hurt that, that ruins a relationship and that will be very hard to ever put out. Which is why James writes, not many of you should presume to be teachers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Uh, and I'm, I, I just joked about that earlier because every week I get up here I feel this, this vulnerability of like I gotta be very careful with what I say and I don't wanna be hurtful and I don't wanna be misleading to people. Um, but when you hear those words about just cautioning teachers, please don't let that dissuade you from teaching Sunday school. We could use some Sunday school teachers right now. And if you're a teacher in the public schools or in a private school someplace, we love you. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, but it's a sober warning in this way. He's saying basically that given the power of words, we have to be very careful and wise in how we use them. Jesus actually goes one step further, and he says in Matthew 12, I tell you, on the day of judgment, you will have to give an account for every careless word you utter. Wow. I'm going to be standing there one day. I'm with Jesus, and he says, can we just roll the videotape about that whole thing, that interaction you had, Dan? Can we just talk about that? And again, it's not because he, he, he's eager to crush us and dismiss us. He wants to transform us. And, and, and that's what he means by judgment there. He wants us to really think about how we use words. Nobody beyond the Bible and the Bible scholars that I know of anyway um, would, would have as much agreement with that idea as a guy by the name of Dr. John Gottman. Have you, any of you ever heard of John Gottman? It's okay if you haven't, but I will tell you that if there was a hall of fame for relationship experts, Gottman would have a whole wing devoted to him. This guy is one of the most legendary psychotherapists in American history. And the reason is, many reasons, but one of the reasons is because he can predict the flight path of a relationship in just 20 minutes. Give Gottman 20 minutes to talk with uh, two people that are struggling with each other, 
And Gottman can predict with over 90% accuracy whether that relationship is going to make it or whether it's going to crash. Uh, I mean, other therapists are in awe of this guy's uh, apparent uh, knowledge power about this. And, and Gottman has discovered in his research over the years that more than 80% of those relationships that crash are self-described by the individuals involved as crashing because of three things. A gradual loss of closeness, a gradual loss of a sense of care, and a gradual loss of a sense of respect between people. And this is a phenomenon, by the way, that can happen in a marriage, it can happen in a parent-child relationship, it can happen among siblings in a work relationship on a team. Uh, all of this is possible in these relational contexts. What obsessed Gottman was figuring out why? Why do certain relationships over time diminish in terms of their sense of closeness, care, and respect? What is going on there? And Gottman, in his research with couples, ultimately determined that there were four particular ways of using words that were the principal culprit, or at least a major factor in, in, the, in, the, in the glide path of these relationships. And uh, four particular ways, in a sense, that were weights, like lead weights on the kite string of interpersonal connections. So for the sake of those people you know someplace that are having relationship problems, not you, of course, but for the sake of those people you can give advice to, would you be interested in knowing what those four weights are? The first of them is the lead weight of criticism, says Gottman. Uh, of criticism. Now, let's face it, every single relationship in life needs feedback. Uh, we can't go as far as we want to go individually or, or uh, interpersonally or communally if there isn't a feedback loop of some kind. We need to talk about performance. We need to have performance reviews in some sense in every relational context in life. Um, so sometimes you'll hear somebody say, gosh, you know, in a workplace, I I'm really disappointed you didn't get that report done. You know, because we needed that report by Friday and we talked about that in advance because all the rest of us are counting on the data there to be able to take the next step. You know, tell, tell me what's going on, what happened? Or, or maybe in a home context, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated you didn't take the recycling out, honey. Because, uh, you know, like they only pick up on that day of the week and, and, and it piles up and... And I was busy handling these other things. I, I thought we'd agreed you said you, you would take care of that. Can we talk about this? Do you ever have these kinds of conversations? Are there feedback loops present in your relationship circles like this? This is good stuff. This is, this is the right kind of communication. We need this kind of communication. Uh, this, it, we're just simply giving an honest complaint uh, it's motivated by this desire to, to make things better, to build up the relationship. The speaker is, is sharing in each of these uh, scenarios an honest emotion. They're explaining why that emotion is there. The other person has a chance to correct the issue downstream or ask questions that might help uncover mitigating circumstances or misunderstandings about expectations. We need that kind of communication a lot. Constructive critique is good for relationships. Let me say that one more time, and remember that word, critique. 
Constructive critique is very important for relationships. But here's how the conversation can go sometimes instead. I can't believe you didn't do that again. For somebody that is always talking about how productive you are, you are sure Mr. Unreliable. I mean, just how lazy are you? You feel that tone? You know what happens to you when you in your spirit when, when somebody makes hyperbolic accusations, never, always. You know what happens inside of you when they call you names, when they assault your character? That's criticism, not critique. Critique is complaint designed to build the person and the relationship up. Critique is a venting of spleen that tears away at the fabric of relationship, that weighs it down. So measure for yourself, how much am I in my feedback process, a person that's about constructive critique, and how much am I just sometimes a person of destructive criticism? The second big weight that can get hung on the, on the kite string of a relationship is the weight of contempt. There's the coworker that says, oh, you think you're God's gift to this company, don't you? Why, if the people upstairs knew what I know about you, they would can your hindquarters so fast. Or, or, or there's the family member who says, I'm sick and tired of putting up with your excuses. Do you, you think they're, you're gonna get an award for watching television all the time? How, how lazy and slovenly do you have to be? Contempt is expressed through sneering, through, through sarcasm, through hostile humor. It's even heavier than criticism because underlying it is this fundamental disrespect. Criticism is about behavior. Contempt is about character. I criticize you because I don't like these things you do. I have contempt for you because I don't like you, your fundamental character. People will sometimes slip into this contemptuous talk and then they'll make excuses for it like, oh, I guess I went a little bit too far on that. I, you know, it's just the way I'm wired. I'm, I'm Italian. I'm, I'm Irish. I'm a pastor. I, I don't know. They make, we make excuses. I'm not like that most of the time, but yeah, I gotta go there sometimes. Or I don't really feel that way. She knows I like her. She knows I don't really mean it, but the other person picks up the truth. You disdain me. Something in you just fundamentally doesn't like something at the core of me. And the weight of that contempt is profound over time. And then there's the third lead weight, and it's the weight of defensiveness. Some years ago, Doug McKinley was a, a pastor at this church. Doug uh, is a trained pastoral psychotherapist, and uh, he wrote an incredible book called Mad About You, a, a book on relationships and marriage, and I've taken some of the best cues in this series from Doug's thinking on this. And, 
And Doug describes the conversation in, in this book between a, a wife and a husband that, that uh, is really a vulnerable uh, and important one. Uh, the wife in this case comes to the husband and she says, you know, it bothers me that you look at pornography. It really bothers me that you do that. And the husband responds, what? You think I'm some kind of pervert? And the wife counters, no, I'm just telling you that it, that it makes me uncomfortable that you look at that stuff. And the husband goes back and says, look, I'm not having, it's not like I'm having an affair with those women. I mean, they don't mean anything to me. You must, you must be feeling insecure. Have you put on a little weight lately? And she says, I just wish you wouldn't look at that stuff anymore. And he leaves the room saying, you think I'm a pervert. Now, it may not be that scenario that's happened in your household and your circle of acquaintance, but has there ever been a moment in time when somebody has come at some significant issue or question with you and what's immediately popped in your mind is all of, the, of the, what's wrong about them? And so instead of listening and taking in the feedback you're getting or really talking about it or really looking at myself and saying, what's going on there that I am doing those things, you just come back with, yeah, but you. But you, yeah, but you. Have you ever done that? I have done that. If I had Amy up here right now, she'd say, yes, you have done that. It's true. Boy, that's so easy to slip into defensiveness. Defensiveness is all about being more concerned with preserving my image of myself or what I perceive the image of others to have about myself than it is dealing honestly with the heart and the hurt of the other person. And so when, 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 we, when we're approached with information we don't like, we deny, we divert, we go on the attack. Uh, it's sort of like a, a playing out of the, of the idea that, that, uh, the, that the, um, the best offense is a good defense. We wish the Bears right, had a little bit more of that. But, but that's, that's the kernel there, is that we think that we can solve the problem by going on the defense on the defensive attack. And what happens here is that the other person figures this out over time. They realize that if they bring something up that's serious, rather than us taking it in and considering it seriously, we're just gonna attack. We're gonna get defensive. And as a result, the person stops bothering to even raise anymore the issues that just so need to be talked about, things that could be probably resolved when they're small, before they got big or layered over, they just don't even go there anymore because they know how defensive we'll be. Have you ever seen this pattern or been part of it? When criticism, contempt, and defensiveness become grooved patterns in a relationship, it almost always results in the fourth weight being added to that kite string. And Gottman calls it stonewalling. Stonewalling. I want you to picture that, that there's this mom. It could be a dad in the story too. But I want you to picture that there's this parent who's been trying to address an adolescent daughter's appalling grades and not so good manners. Uh, and, and the intention is good because, you know, we know that, if, gosh, if, if the child can um, 
build some academic discipline. They can, can have more options in life. And we know that manners are important because that's how uh, relationships need good manners. Um, but, but in this case, the parent is really anxious about these things. And so the daughter, I'll call her Sally, walks through the door one day after school and mom just starts in on her. She's had, had all day to think about you know, the things that aren't going right. And Sally tries, you know, she's like blown out of the water that she's meeting this emotional wall as she walks in and she tries to make a, a kind of a shaky defense, but then she just leaves the room in a huff. And soon she just starts coming home later and later and later and later. She tries to find any reason to avoid having to be at the house or to be in proximity with, with the parent. And in this case, mom's response is this. She just, this pattern of avoidance drives her insane. And so even as the, the child is kind of trying to back away, the, the parent's going harder and harder after her. And so this just makes the retreat of the other one even more intense. And, and finally, uh, Sally whirls on her mom and she silently glazes at her as if to say it's not even Worth wasting my breath to speak. You will never listen. You will never understand me. You don't even like me. She's like in this terrible place. And so she just buries herself in her phone, in her homework, in her room, wherever she can hide. She settles in on this silent treatment. She tells herself she's not really punishing her mom. That would be lowering myself to mom's level. No, I'm just avoiding the hassle. Can you relate to this dynamic? These patterns of communication or, or non-communication are being repeated a lot between spouses, between siblings, between workmates, between teammates, between friends, at varying levels of intensity and frequency every day. It's being played out, I'm gonna to suggest to you, this, these same <laughs> four things are being played out uh, between the, the red team and the blue team in our society, often between uh, uh, different races, different socioeconomic groups, different um, cultural and religious groups, the, these, these patterns of, of criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling are just there. They're, they're a part of the, of the fabric in life. And, and, and James in the Bible is really honest about this. He says, all of us stumble in many ways with our words. You know, if anyone is never at fault in what they say, they're, then they're perfect. And we're not perfect. And there's good news for imperfect people. There is a grace greater than the gravity of life. A grace greater than the gravity of sin. Many of us just haven't thought about the way we're speaking. Uh, we're, we're, we're not analyzing it very carefully. Or we're so used to hearing other people speak this way, we think that's just regular. And the challenge for us is to just long for something more remarkable than, than the normal. Uh, and, and one of the biggest reasons to do this, as James points out, is because it would be a greater consistency for us. James says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse other people who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and then cursing. My brothers and sisters, this shouldn't be. 
It shouldn't be. It's such a contradiction between our stated desire in loving as God loves and then the way we actually live. This just, this just should not be. This needs to be thought about. We can't develop the remarkable relationships we want until we confront the regular practices we allow. Does that make sense to you? Um, there's a really tricky thing about a horse's bit, a ship's rudder, or the spark that James talks about there. There's an interesting factor about them. Their effect is not always obvious in a single moment. Right? You, 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 um, with a horse's bit, you, you, you've got a big steed, you tug, you tug, you tug on the rein. It takes a while for that big old animal to come around. You, and with a ship's rudder, you know, you can go hard over and it's going to take a while for the change to really come into effect. Uh, my brother's in the house with us today and he knows that our, we had a terrible fire in our house when we were uh, growing up and it just ravaged the house. We were never able to live in that house again. And it started with a tiny little spark Nobody really saw happening, and it just grew, and it grew, and it grew. This is what happens in our relationships. We start out flying high. We hope to go higher still, and then these little weights get hung on the string, and they change the, the, the altitude of the kite of our relationship just degree by degree by degree. We hardly notice it. Maybe none of them is, is a big enough change to really face it, but by tiny degrees, the relationship comes crashing down. So we need to think about our way with words, I think is the big message here. Uh, what I'm curious, though, even more about is how things get better. You know, how is it that, that regular ways of communication get replaced by more remarkable ways of communication? What does it look like to speak more wisely what would it look like in practice for you and me to speak with a grace greater than the gravity of the weight of sin and life itself? God has a hopeful, transforming word to speak to us on that particular topic, and that's what we're going to explore in detail when we gather next week. I hope you'll come and be part of that conversation. Let me invite us to pray together. Lord, as no one else does, you know the reality of our relationships. You are party to every conversation. You see what's going on inside of us when these words come out or when we're not speaking. So we ask your forgiveness. We ask for the forgiveness of those we might have injured, knowingly or unknowingly, by our careless way with words. You've said in your word that the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So as we come now to your table to be filled afresh with your grace, help us to find our way into your way. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, as Dan mentioned, we have the opportunity to celebrate together the sacrament of communion. In the Lord's table, it is it has been prepared by him for all of us who love him to join.
for all of us who, who trust in him alone for our salvation. We are welcome to join at the table. And as I reflect on the, the message today, I think back to that first Last Supper, that first communion experience in scripture and the people that were at that table. They did life together. They, they experienced the ups and downs of life together. They knew the intricacies of one another. They knew the places where they felt uncomfortable about the people around them. They had these weights, right? They experienced the criticism, the, the, the brokenness there. They experienced the contempt. They experienced the defensiveness, the stonewalling. And yet Jesus brought them to humility at the table. And what a picture of our community. What a representation of us coming to the table together today, aware of the brokenness in our society, aware in the, of the brokenness in our own hearts. And yet Jesus is gathering us together all the same. Friends, it's an amazing picture to come to the table of communion and experience the holiness of resting in the truth of our brokenness and the weight of his sacrifice, but also celebrating the goodness of the work that Jesus did on the cross on our behalf. So friends, as we join together in the table today, if you are in the room with us, we've already heard a little bit of the holy rustling of the, the wrappings, but this is a great time to make those available. If you didn't grab one by the doors, please do so now. Um, the top flap opens and um, gets access at the wafer, and then the second flap will, will allow you to um, consume the, the juice in, in a few moments. And if you're joining us online, this is not an experience that stops at the, at the doors of the auditorium. We want you to be a part of this as well. And so now is a great time for you to gather some communion elements at your home. Um, and when we have the time together, you will, um, of course, be a part of that experience with us as, as the um, experience of the whole church. Friends, in just a few moments, Dan is going to pray for this time together, and we're going to move into a space of, of consuming the elements. And we're going to start with the bread. Um, and we're going to, before each element, we're going to have a moment of silence and reflection and prayer to prepare our hearts, to talk to the Lord about what is moving in our hearts before we take each of those elements. And we will lead you through that experience in just a few moments. But as we now go to prayer, let's prepare our hearts for, for this time that we have together. Please bow your head with me if you would. Lord, we, we remember how you said that you earnestly desired to eat this supper with your disciples. We know that your love for those ordinary people, those regular people, was truly remarkable. And so we thank you that we can come before you with humble hope that in you we will find the grace that we need. We know that as individuals, as a nation, we have fallen short of the glorious potential for which we've been made. We've been beset by sin and violence and division at a level that we know must break your heart. We don't always know how to repair ourselves. We don't know how to restore the health that we desperately need, but you, oh God, you do. And so we come here to your feet. We put our lives afresh, God, into your loving hands. And we ask you to meet us in this place, in this sacrament, with redeeming grace. 
Grant us, O God, the amazing capacity to perceive the glory of who you are. That in you, Jesus, you have come to lead us into the better land. Thank you for pouring out your very life's blood upon the cross for our forgiveness. Thank you for pouring out your very Spirit's power at Pentecost so that we can go into these times with compassion and wisdom as you have approached us. So pour out your Spirit now upon these gifts of bread and wine that the bread we break and the cup we bless might be the communion of the body and the blood of Christ himself. By your spirit, make us one with Christ and with all who share this communion today all across the world. Unite us and empower us to be the salt and light this world needs, especially and until that coming day when physically and finally you gather to yourself all your people and make all things new. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.